You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, April the 19th, beautiful morning across the UK. Hope you all had a fantastic Easter weekend and thanks for listening once again. We've got lots to enjoy through the next half an hour or so, including a look ahead to what's happening at Epsom this afternoon and Sandown Park later in the week here in the UK. A look back on what happened in Ireland yesterday and it was pretty extraordinary for reasons that will become clear. And a look ahead to the jumps finale this weekend in the UK when we finally put the national hunt season to bed and crown Paul Nichols as champion national hunt trainer for the 13th time. In a moment, I'll be talking to his longtime assistant who's about to step down to kick off on his own, Harry Derham. But first of all, David Yates from the Daily Mirror. It shouldn't come as a surprise that Nichols has done it again, but how does he keep doing it? Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? There was a very interesting piece in the Racing Post by David Jennings during the Grand National meeting, Nick. It was on the, the Saturday, I think it was on the big day itself. And, and it said that of the top 40 horses, according to Racing Post ratings, that Nichols trained a mere four of those. And yet he has this incredible skill and hunger, doesn't he, for... I think hoovering up those second-tier prizes, that's not to denigrate the likes of Clondes Oboe, who was magnificent at Aintree. Brave Man's game was disappointing. We know, of course, that Nichols had expressed the weekend before Aintree misgivings about the form of his stable, and, and perhaps there was something ailing Brave Man's game when he lost his unbeaten record over fences at Aintree. But, yeah, it's that, it's that way that he hoovers up all those grade two chases here and there. Um, it's a great skill, and this is, I always lose at loose count of how many he's won, but this is the 13th. He's got a couple more to go to reach Martin Pipe, his great rival and, and one time nemesis. But of course, he's also got a couple of young guns breathing down his neck now, including Dan Skelton, and Nicky Henderson won't go away either. Well, I thought perhaps the right man to ask um, how, just how Paul Nichols has accumulated 13 trainers' championships and finished runner-up on the only occasions when he hasn't been champion in that in that sequence is the man who's been at his right hand for the last six or seven years, Harry Derham, his assistant trainer, who's about to leave to set up uh, his own training establishment. His final day will be Saturday. I'd imagine it's something you give quite a lot of thought to, isn't it, Harry? Just how he does it. Yeah, I do, Nick. Um, it's an extraordinary achievement. Um, and what he's done over the you know last l- long time now. I mean, he's been first or second in the trainers' champion. I think, it, I think it's over twenty years, and it's absolutely extraordinary what he's done. And um, very proud to have been a sort of part of it for the last for the last six seasons. Um, so what what do you think it is? What do you think it is? What's his secret, if indeed it is a secret? Um, I don't think it's a secret. I just think there's a relentlessness to him. There's, he's never done. He's never, you know, I've, I've driven him back on so many days, good days, um, and he's thinking about the next day. He's thinking about where that horse will go next. He's thinking about what's happening tomorrow, what's happening next week. 
um, you know, we always we always finish up at Aintree and he's planning for next season. There's never, ever a moment where he stops planning, thinking about it, thinking how he can be better. Um, and I guess that's the, that's the key to his success. You know, it's not a... Oh well, we've done quite well. We'll just enjoy that. Every every day is an opportunity for him to get better, and um, that's what I admire about him a huge amount. And every trainer is going to have the odd little blip, and your stable went through a little bit of a quiet spell in January, even more so than than would normally be the case. And he was fielding all calls and holding his nerve. Um, that must take a fair bit of strength of character. Yeah, I think it does. But I think when you've got to his stage and had his success, I think what he knows that what he's doing, it works. Um, and I think actually probably the hardest thing to do when, um, you know, you're going through a little phase like that is hold your nerve and say, this works, what we're doing is working. Something is not quite right, but it will come right. And happily it has. And um, I, I learned a lot in that period of time because... You know, when things are going wrong, it's easy to say, well, everything's not working. We need to change everything. But he didn't do that. He's, you're always trying to look and improve to get better. But um, the the base model of things works very well. And you just had to stick for that. And happily, they, it all came right. So as you, as you get yourself set for the for the next chapter, sort of how do you feel in your in your last week at Ditcher? It's, it's been part of your life, not just as assistant, but as a, as a rider there as well. And as, as Paul's nephew, for, well, it's been part of your life for your whole life, really. It has um, mixed emotions, Nick, to be honest. I, I'll i be honest with you, until Aintree had finished, I wasn't really thinking about it that much. Obviously, I was thinking about it, but until Aintree had finished, I was very, very much focused on the job in hand because, you know, we were, we were, we were trying to win races, we were trying to do well, we were trying to win the Trains Championship for Paul, and that consumes all of you. So I must admit the first couple of days after Aintree were odd because all of a sudden it was two weeks away and it was upon me, so... Um, it is mixed emotions. I'm very, very excited for what's to come, but I will, I will be very sad to leave a yard that I've grown up in, hopefully become a man in, and absolutely adored my time here. And in terms of Saturday, uh, what result would really um, have you reaching for your for your handkerchief? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, Grenadine, I, I feel like Grenadine is, is a home game for him on Saturday. He adores Sandown. He's very, very good brand there. I think the ground is going to be right for him. So I'm very, very excited about uh, his chances. And, you know, obviously, um, Chris Charles, his own, has been a great supporter of, of mine. He gave me my first winner for Paul. So that will be very, very special. And um, I, I really think Enrilo's got a bit of a score to settle with with the bet 365. I mean, you know, he did so well last year and, and just lost his concentration at the run-in. And um, so if he could if he could settle that score this year, that would be absolutely incredible. But I think if we have a lucky enough to have a win on Saturday, then I might get a bit choked up. When do you think you might have your first runner in your own, in your own name? Because we talked about this, what, six, seven months ago when you first announced you were going to do it? I'm hoping I'm hoping it will be January. Um, my last module finishes on the eighth of December. Obviously, there's a few uh, hoops to jump through and things like that. But I'm hoping at the turn of the year is when I'll I'll have my first runners. The ever thoughtful Harry Derham there, and best of luck to him as he's off to pastures new. And it will be an emotional afternoon for him on Saturday, no doubt. Relentlessness was the word that struck me from that interview, <laughs> Dave Yates. Yes, absolutely. And well, Harry Derham as a, a family member of Paul Nichols has, has been there for uh, since 2010. And so he knows the, 
soon-to-be 13-time champion trainer better than most people, you would think. And I'm sure there are times when working for uh, Digit, for, for Manor Farm Stables, isn't quite the easiest thing to do. But they're a huge success. And obviously, it, it's interesting that Nichols has given Dan Skelton to the training ranks. They're very similar people. Um, Harry Derham is, is, I think, cast in a slightly different mould uh, to Nichols and Skelton, but it goes without saying that he will have an absolutely huge bank of know-how uh, to work with when he joins the training ranks. And he's been an integral part of that team, as was Skelton, a, 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 a very big part of, of the success of uh, the team over the last, what, decade and a half. What happened yesterday in terms of national hunt racing, the Irish Grand National took place at Ferry House, the 150th edition of it. And Dave, this was a, an extraordinary and notable result for, for trainer Dermot McLaughlin. Just, just tell us exactly how extraordinary and why. Well, it's really extraordinary because 12 months ago, Dermot McLaughlin trained a 100 or saddled a 150 to one outsider for this race, freewheeling Dylan, who of course caused a shock. 12 months later, 40 to 1 outsider Lord Lariat lines up, freely away, available at, at 50 to 1 and 66s, I think, in the run up to yesterday's Irish National. And then he scored by four and three quarter lengths. It's, uh, it's some double that. What does that work out at? 150 times 40. It's, it's around 6,000 to 1, isn't it? And. That takes some doing it, especially in a race that if you watched that yesterday, it was absolutely jam-packed with Jigginstown and J.P. McManus runners. As you would have expected, Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott had uh, huge representations there. Gaia Dumainil, the, the 11-2 favourite, was trained by Willie Mullins and seemed to go round on rails for much of the way. Then it got tasty running to the second last and the market leader couldn't find what was required. But up front, Paddy O'Hanlon and Lord Lariat were galloping away and it was the 40-1 to shot who then uh, gave uh, his trainer a second victory in the race and more notably with a horse that most punters hadn't really given a second look at. I was watching Racing TV's coverage of, of Ferry House yesterday, Dave, and even not being there, you could tell that before the big race, which was off at five o'clock, the crowd was in such buoyant form. It made that crowd on the last day at Cheltenham look, look like a crown green bowls audience. It did. It, yes, it did. It, it, it made them look like some sort of Sunday school prayer meeting. It was, yes, there was lots of that, uh, ole, 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 if you don't mind my uh, singing it. Um, yeah, it was, certainly looked pretty boisterous. Um, I think over the, traditionally, um, the UK looks to Ireland, and Ireland is, is quite happy to accept this view as the, the, the country of the horse, uh, who, who understands the horse, etc., etc. And, and I think it's something that um, Irish racegoers and, and practitioners revel in at the moment as they routinely uh, give us spankings in the big races. And yes, it, it surprised me that the, the idea that, um, that uh, the Irish take a more uh, perhaps a, a slightly more solemn, less, less frivolous uh, view of horse racing was uh, torn up and, and thrown in the bin with, with that chorus. The, the race was a couple of minutes late 
uh, which gave the, the crowd the opportunity fi to find their full voice, but find their full voice they certainly did. Um, yes, uh, we, we've talked, I think, in the past on the NLD about zone, not, you know, no singing, no alcohol zones. Uh, I don't think there were many of those at Fairy House yesterday. Um, on on one more serious note, uh, Black Bow lost his life in the, the, the grade two chase. Willie Mullins uh, fielded four of the six runners, including the winner, Easy Game. And, and Black Bow took a, a, a fatal fall. I'm, I'm not sure if it, was, if it was actually that incident or another one, but there was a, an unfortunate uh, case of, of putting the screens round a stricken horse and it wasn't done very effectively. If you, if you watch the, the TV reruns, you'll see the green screen end and then the, the back end of a stricken and motionless horse on the ground uh, sticking out of it. Now, the, the, the opponents of horse racing say that uh, the green screens are there to, to hide what we're doing. Um, the, the, the official and very reasonable line is that it's there to, to protect race goers, particularly younger ones uh, whose sensibilities would be offended or hurt uh, by the sight of a stricken horse on the ground. Now, whichever way you look at it, I think that it's incumbent on those who are putting the screens up to do it effectively. And this isn't a pop at Irish racing. It, for our Irish listeners, please don't think that I'm, I'm having a go because this took place on Irish soil and not on uh, British soil. I'm, I'm sure it has happened here too. But just a, a note that if, if, the, if the green screens are going to be put up, they need to be put up in a way that does protect the public, including those who are watching on television. Well, turning our attentions to the domestic flat racing scene now, and no doubt about the headline of yesterday. No sooner had rookie trainer James Horton, former assistant to Sir Michael Stout, sent out his first winner that he'd sent out winners numbers two and three. And he was rather unlucky not to make it four at Wolverhampton as well. The three winners came at Redcar. Uh, James joins me from his base in North Yorkshire now. Uh, James, I'd imagine you're still pinching yourself, aren't you? Uh, supervising second lot this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yesterday was 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 a fantastic result, and it's um, <clears throat> it's quite surreal that it, it happened. I, when I woke up yesterday morning. I thought that yesterday could be the day when we when we get one over the line, but to get three over the line was fantastic. So, just tell us for for those who who aren't familiar and haven't been following the story. And I I interviewed John Dancer, I think, eighteen months or so ago on this podcast, and he said he was getting out of the game. He got back into it and in style with you at the helm of of a, of a new purpose built yard. That's right, isn't it in Midland? Well, it's not built yet. Um, <laughs> we are currently we're currently operating out of Sally Hall's yard at Breckengill. Um, and John and Jess are putting a huge amount into re the redevelopment of Manor Farm, which was, as you I'm sure know, was 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 um, Mrs. Peacock's before that, and has been a a well established um, a stud for a long time. And they are sort of completely redeveloping that, and and we are in the process of creating a sort of purpose built training training yard. And it was a it was a big call for you because it's not as though you you left a low profile role to go and to go and do this. You were assistant trainer to Sir Michael Stout, one of the one of the modern greats. How much soul searching did you have to do before taking the plunge? Well, it wasn't an easy decision, and you know I'd been with Sir Michael for 
for a long time, um, and he'd been nothing but very good to me. And you know, we I, we had we had we had a good relationship. We still do have a very good relationship. He was one of the first people to ring me yesterday. Um, and uh, but you know, I, I I've been there for nearly seven years, and at some point you you've got to bite the bullet and go and do it on your own, you know. And what are you pinning your hopes on most for the for the forthcoming weeks? Which horse are you most excited about? We run a we run what I think is a, a very nice horse this evening at Wolverhampton uh, called Encourageable. He was second in a Doncaster Maiden and the Sunday of the Lincoln meeting. Um, he was beaten by a horse of Mr. Haggis's who duly went and won the conditions race at Kempton yesterday. Um, and he he'd be the apple of my eye at the moment, if I'm honest with you. James Horton there, what a way to really kickstart your training career and sounds very confident about his runner this evening as well. We'll be monitoring that carefully. No doubt about the star in the UK on the flat this week, at least the established star. That's the multiple group one winner, Alcohol Free, who's set to make her seasonal debut, we think, at Sandown on Friday in the Bet365 mile. Andrew Balding, her trainer, is on the line now. Andrew, is she going to run? Uh, that's the plan at the moment, Nick. Yep, um, we've been very happy with her, and she's fairly forward in both fitness and and her coat, which was not the case last year. Um, been really pleased with her work and her well-being. So we thought we'd have a little, you know, have a have a run before we have to make decisions on on the major summer targets. Are you looking for her to tell you something? Are you looking to be told what to do for the rest of the season as well? Well, I think I think it's fairly obvious. I, I mean, the, the, the things we know about her, she does stay a mile. Um, she seems to be better on a turning track. She's probably probably better with a little bit more give underfoot, but she's coped with faster ground. Um, the, the, the one question we will have to, you know, we'll be asking ourselves probably after this is whether we, we, we could manage a, a drop-in trip at some stage during the season just to keep, you know, options open. Um but yeah, look, really, it's it's very good prize money. It's a it's an important race, and it would be nice to get her out and get her going. If you were going to drop her into it, what sort of races would you have your eye on? Are you almost thinking of something like a July Cup or something like that? Yeah, quite quite possibly, or a Platinum Jubilee if the ground was you know soft or on the slow side. I mean, they're, they're, those are the two options, um, certainly. That's very interesting. And you say better on a turning track. Wondered if something like the foray deep into the season, Group One Seven furlongs going right-handed might might be just up up her street. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that and the, the possibly the Breeders' Cup Mile were our two autumn objectives. But that's that's a long way away. It's what we do between now and then. So, um, you know, that's that's all for discussion. Yeah, interesting thoughts there from trainer Andrew Balding about alcohol-free. Dave, that could be very exciting. And he's thinking outside the box there a little bit, thinking right big sprint prizes in the summer and push it deep into the autumn with the foray and the Breeders' Cup mile. He, of course, is also going to be avoiding Baid by doing that. Yes, he is. But it's, it's interesting, really, Nick, to turn the clock back 12 months, isn't it? Because this time last year, we were looking at alcohol-free and we were looking at a, a Cheveley Park Stakes winner of the previous autumn who had won the... Fred Darling, the Dubai Duty Free, if you will, uh, by a short head. And the, the the real talk about alcohol-free was, is this filly a sprinter or is she a miler? Well, she she ran fifth, was beaten a couple of lengths behind 
Mother Earth in, in the Guineas itself, but of course went on to win two uh, Group 1 prizes at a mile, the Coronation Stakes and, of course, the Sussex Stakes. And then she went up to 10 furlongs unavailingly uh, for the Judmont International at York. So we were this time thinking, well, is this, is this horse a sprinter or a miler? So in view of what's happened last summer, we think, well, come on, she's a copper-bottomed miler. But it's worth remembering uh, what we were talking about in 2021 because in view of that, looking, uh, looking forward to the, the sprint prize of, of 2022, maybe it's not such a crazy idea. And of course, as you say, if Baid turns out to reproduce what he's done at the end of 2021 or indeed build on it, then he's going to be a... Uh, a pretty horse, a pretty difficult horse to beat in uh, the Group One mile events that he turns up for. And of course, that Friday, the flat racing day before we get to the jumping on Saturday, doesn't just feature the Bet Three Six Five mile, but also the classic trial on on Friday. There's a classic trial at Epsom this afternoon as well. Really interesting to see how both of those pan out. Dave, just in in terms of the initial classics, the the two thousand and one thousand guineas. Most of the trials for those have now been run and done and dusted. And then we know the horses that are going to go straight there, the Luxembourgs and Tenebrisms and co. Who do you think is going to win both races at this stage? Yeah, at this stage, I'm, I'm very sorry, but I'm, I'm going to be pretty boring and side with the favourites. I, I think Tenebrism, the second favourite for the Guineas, is a, is a doubtful stayer. In Spiral, who heads the market and has done for quite a long time uh, for the Phillies Classic, did everything right at two. And if she manages to build on that, then I think she's very hard to beat. I was... I was very taken with Native Trail in the Craven. I think that when a horse starts at four to one on, he's pretty much on a hiding to nothing. It's going to be hard to come out of that and say, well, you know, wasn't he magnificent? But I thought he did really everything that you looked for in a horse who would then go on and, and win the Guineas. Um, and I think he'll probably do that. The, the other uh, Guineas trial we had on Saturday, of course, was with perfect power. Immediately after that race, we were talking about whether that horse would uh, go up to a mile or come back to six furlongs to go sprinting. And then an hour later, with Bruce Raymond, the representative of uh, Rabba Bloodstock, we were actually talking about, right, he's going to stay at a mile, but which classic? And Bruce Raymond said, we would like to go to Newmarket, but if it's fast ground and it's softer ground in France, then Longchamp would very likely be the place that we would go. So, sorry, that's a very long winded and circuitous answer to come up with the market leaders but in spiral and native trail sorry i'd expect nothing less all right it's tuesday and we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at weatherby's their stallion book their excellent global stallion app i don't think coolmore needs much of an introduction and uh, i'm not going to be able to go through all 36 stallions that the uh, great global beer moth stand at the moment but it's always good to check in in uh, county tipperary mark Byrne is um, very much at the forefront of the nominations department at Coolmore and, and joins me now. Mark, exciting times for everyone in, in this business. A little bit of a, a health check on the industry from your standpoint. You're shifting nominations year in, year out. We just had you know, the, the, the back end of the, the big restrictions in the pandemic and, and Brexit and how mayors are moving. A lot of concerns for people. Are you seeing that reflected at all? Look, there is a change in, 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 in what people are, are doing, but for the most part, it's a very resilient industry. It, it kind of key, keeps reinventing itself. Um, obviously, there was a number of different hurdles with, with Brexit and COVID, but 
every little challenge has kind of been overcome in its own way. And I know, like in Coombe, we're here, we're lucky to put up a bond in place so that for mayors coming in from the UK, um, it deals with the VAT implications. And people just kind of keep moving on with things. And you go to the sales, and there was a lot of, how would you say, kind of anticipation going to the sales during the middle of lockdown. And they kept going stronger and stronger and stronger. Like you just look at the craving last week. The appetite is just unbelievably consistent throughout. Um, and you look at Australia, it's just going from strength to strength. America's much the same. And and, and I think Ireland and England is, is very much resilient and, and just full of new players coming back in. You see money from America, you see money from Japan, all reinvested back into our bloodstock. And I think the main thing is we've such a good product here. Um, we've such good stallions and broodmares and race programme that it, it kind of invariably looks after everything. Mark, the death of Galileo last year was was clearly a, a seminal moment in the, in the bloodstock industry, one of the greatest stallions, if not the greatest stallion of the modern era. Who now walks tallest amongst Coolmore stallions, in your opinion? It's, it's going to be, obviously, a, a very interesting few years. Um, we will never see the likes of him possibly ever again, like, up until his death. Um, like, he was the leading sire of, as a stallion himself and broodmare sire at the same time. We've got a lot of young stallions in the pipeline, but I suppose we've got um, with runners so far. We've got Nona Never and Wooden Bassett are kind of the the most um, high end, exciting stallions that we have here, along with Camelot as well. Um, and then we've got young horses there with runners to hit the track or are starting to cover their mares. Um, Wooden Bassett has his first crop of, of Irish foals here, um, and like we're just starting to see their ones better than the next. We've some beautiful foals and. Um, He's covered the dams of like the Irish Oaks winner, the English Oaks winner, and the Prelian, the French Oaks winner. So he's got incredible mares. And we've got Camelot, he's got Luxembourg to come this year. And, and then we've got Nolly Never, who's just getting his first um, bunch of, of extremely well bred horses to hit the crop this year. I hit the track this year, and we already saw in a couple of Irish maidens, two row maidens, the impact of those better bred horses. So um, very exciting time. Um, and then we get to the likes of St. Mark's Basilica, and, and maybe it's a sleeper in amongst the rest of the pack. I want to just um, zone in a little bit on on Wooden Bassett. You know, he was a big money transfer from France where he'd really chiseled out his reputation with fairly pedestrian mares. Now, you're putting all these Galileo mares under him. Are you seeing something different? Are you seeing what you want to see? Because there's a lot of pressure on this horse now. There is a lot of pressure, but I I suppose he doesn't know it. And and Mr. Magner said a great thing about him is that he takes his chances and good stallions take their chances. Um, I know one of the best foals in the farm this year is is a a half-brother to Snowfall um, by Wooden Bassett. um, And I know the guys are just, they absolutely love that foal. um, And that's just the calibre of mare that they got. All right, let's just talk about first season size and, you know, what's really capturing your imagination. This year, the first season's are two roles. We've got Saxon Warrior, US Navy flag, Sioux Nation, and Gustav Klimt. But, like, Saxon Warrior, if you're to put him down in paper, like, he's by three of the best pre shaping signings of, of my lifetime, anyway. And Deep Impact, Galileo, and Dane Hill, um, his, like, Nick, you, you know better than anyone. You see um, how good the Japanese blood and breeding is. Like, um, it's a pedigree that's been around Kumo from a long, long time. I think they bought his fifth dam in 1980 or 1979, something like that. And he's already had a, a winner from his first runner. Um, and ironically, it's out of a mare by Franklin. So inbred to Galileo, it wouldn't been so, it would have been surprised to see it out so early, but he's won from one. Um, then we've got US Navy flag. Um, he was, again, a brilliant two-year-old, middle park winner, Jewhurst winner. He went on to be champion two-year-old and then champion sprinter when he won the July Cup. 
again got off to a very impressive start. He got the the Ocean Vision was a two row winner for Kieran Cotter, and I think tomorrow in Salisbury you'll have a horse that's hard bet and a horse called Kasib for Clive Cox, who's a very unlucky second in Windsor. And then the most talked about horse of the mall in here, I think, is Sioux Nation. And and I think when when people think of Sioux Nation, they think Scat Daddy. Um, I think one of the most visually impressive things I ever saw in my lifetime was when Lady O'Reilly won at Royal Ascot at two. Um, Caravaggi was incredible in the in the Commonwealth Cup. So it's that brilliant sire line that keeps throwing up fast horses. And again, the Craven, it's a great kind of barometer of where the temperature is for a stallion and 380,000 guineas Anthony Stroud gave for, for a two-year-old by him. So, um, and then Tiger Paul was a, as a, a very good third on debut for, for Aidan O'Brien. So he looks like he'll be a short price favourite next time out. So uh, then we've got Gustav Klimt here as well. He um, he hasn't had a runner yet, but he is a Galileo horse, so they could take a little bit of time. But he was he was a good two-year-old himself. He won the superlative in July. Um, he was a very, very fast horse. And I just I would keep an eye on him because... He's from the family of Vince the Spirit, Kodiak, and, and Pride of Dubai. So he's a real stallion-making family. So that, that that's the four first-season sires we have here. And I think they're all very interested in their own right. I'd be quite interested to see how, how the Triple Crown winner justify matches on, on some of the Coolmore mares, Mark. What, what are you thinking? Um, look, again, it's, it's very exciting. He, he's the scat daddy factor to him. Um, but I, I just think he... he, he he was a brilliant racehorse. Like you, we all know, he was an unbeaten triple crown winner. Um, he won, I think, it was a five or six triple figure bears. So he just an absolutely phenomenal racehorse. But you could see some of the mares that Coomer sent him. Um, again, a lot of those coveted Galileo mares that end up going to Wooden Bassett afterwards, they they were going to him. And he's covered like in Ballydoyle this year. They've probably about a dozen. And um, you've got like the dams of classic winners or classic winners themselves. Um, and I think they're just going to be middle to back end two year olds, but they're going to be very exciting to follow. Mark Byrne there from uh, Coolmore featuring in our weekly segment in association with our friends at Weatherby's around the Bloodstock world. And with that in mind, and given that uh, he mentioned one or two of the Breeze Up purchases last week, let's check in with Tattersall's Jimmy George just to, to see how he felt uh, the sales went. Yeah, morning, Nick. It was it was a good sale, good Craven Breeze up sale. Um, all the key indicators were significantly up, and the turnover was the third highest in the sales history. And the median, second only to a slightly freakish median back in 2017. Obviously, the the winner of the Craven Stakes and the winner of the Mel Gwynn Absolutely. Stakes, both coming from last year's Craven Breeze up, didn't do any harm. No, I was going to say. I mean, given we've we've had Jake Warren on the podcast talking about buying cachet, we've had. Norman Williamson on talking about buying and selling Native Trail. They're both very interesting about what types of horse they thought they were going to be when they bought and sold them, respectively. I was sort of thinking to myself, you you could sort of kick kick your heels a little bit last week, couldn't you, with those two doing all your marketing for you? Yeah, they were, I mean, the, the horses and the connections of the horses <laughs> were very much doing my job. Um, and when you get a horse as exciting as as native trail you know unbeaten european champion two-year-old and really looked very very impressive in the craven states the other day look i mean his his big day <clears throat> certainly his big day in the in the next few weeks is obviously the guineas but uh, that was a, a very smart looking performance in the craven and cache again i take nothing away from her she deserved that she she'd come up against some very smart 
Phillies last year in her two-year-old season, a fourth at um, Del Mar in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, you know, she really deserved a group win to her name. And she wasn't stopping or she didn't look like she was stopping. So um, she'd be a live contender for the 1,000 guineas. And the fact that she cost 60,000 guineas, native trail, you know, in the overall scheme of things, not obscenely expensive at 210 you know, they're a great advertisement for the diversity of the Craven Breeze upsell, but also the quality of the horses that the consigners are regularly producing at all levels, at all sectors of the market, which uh, I think sort of leads one leads one to, to look at our next Breeze upsell, which is the Guineas. And, uh, you know, again, a sale which has a great track record for producing Group 1 horses for very reasonable money. Uh, who would you say is your favourite graduate of recent Guineas Breeze Up sales? I've got an answer in mind myself. I mean, look, it's hard hard to look past the, the current poster child of Trushan, really. I mean, he, he's... It, it, because Almost because he's untypical of what people think they're looking for at a Breeze Up sale. But the, the axis of Alan King and Anthony Bromley have very clearly identified these sales as a source of horses that aren't necessarily typical of breeze up sales. They've been targeting our breeze ups, both the Craven and the Guineas, for many years. So to see them come up with effectively a champion stayer, um, I can't remember if he was actually officially champion stayer last year, but if he wasn't, he probably deserved to be. Um, you know, to come up with that profile of a horse and consistently to find those sort of middle distance staying horses at the Guineas Breeze Up sale is a tribute to, to their game plan and their ability to identify them. So, no, we love Trushan. He's he's a he's a proper superstar and longevity as well is is the key. He's been beautifully handled. And um, again, people think of Breeze Up sales as producing quick two year olds, but he shows that it's you know it. There's there's a lot more to these sales than just that, and the sales produce horses that can go on year after year after year, and I think that's what owners want, and certainly what the trainers want as well. And that Guineas Breeze Up sale takes place next week, 26th to the 28th of April. 28th of April, there is also a horses in training sale. Jimmy George there from Tattersalls. Right, thanks to Jimmy and all my guests today. David Yates is still with me. He's got a tip for you for this afternoon. Yes, we're going to Sedgefield, Tony Blair country, for the 140 race. A horse who currently is not trading as favourite, but is marginal second favourite, and it's Costly Diamond. Um, she unseated Brian Hughes when attempting to run out at Bangor last time, which doesn't sound very promising, but her record at Sedgefield from four runs is three wins and a neck defeat. Interesting that Hughes elects to keep the ride here. I'm going to back costly diamond to show the sweeter side of her nature 140 race at sedgefield selection is number three costly diamond david thank you very much uh, as we did yesterday we wish josh more well update on his condition his sister Haley told us yesterday after we recorded the podcast that that surgery on his broken femur went well uh, still some issues to do with his back that need to be resolved and we're just wishing josh all the very best and for the speediest possible recovery and the most pain-free possible recovery. Uh, Bryony Frost also was found to have broken a vertebra in that fall at Aintree. Um, she has been advised to rest for a, a little while and Bryony, I hope you also have a, a very quick recovery and return to the saddle. Thanks very much for, for listening today. Uh, I've been coming to you from the Cathedral City of Wells, just 
six miles away from the training base of Paul Nichols, where we began uh, this podcast today. We'll see you again bright and early tomorrow morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.